You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. We're free. How many of you are glad you're free? I mean, it was for freedom that he sets you free. Bondage is gone. We're not slaves. We are free to walk and talk Jesus and do whatever we want to do. We have, of course, to make choices that are wise. We are free to do all things, but not all things are expedient, as Paul said. But we're free. There's no bondage. I don't like people putting bondage on me. And it really bothers me, not just because I'm an American, because, you know, Americans are like that. We're very uh, liberated and very free in all our constitution and our songs. It's all about freedom and our rights to speak, even against our government if we want to. If you've ever seen American news, you see that all the time. And I enjoy my freedoms as an American, but I enjoy my spiritual freedoms a lot more. I like that Jesus has set me free. And the gospel is simply, the reason it's good news is because it is freedom. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to preach deliverance to the captives, liberty. That the anointing of Jesus is designed to set people free from beginning to end. And Paul was a great man of God consumed with that ideal. He loved freedom. He had freedom, and he had freedom in the balance. And he dared not let anyone encroach on his freedoms in his faith, in his expression in worship, in his belief in what he did. So as a result, throughout all of his writings, we find that theme repeated again and again. Freedom, freedom. And so... In our weekly or our daily reading in the one-year Bible, as we go through it, I was reading Galatians, and I came across this message that Paul preaches about Sarah and Hagar. And he so carefully, didactically takes the passage and breaks it down like a very gifted teacher. And he assigns roles of each character and that, you know, Hagar is this and Sarah is that and Isaac is this type of this. And it's really a beautiful message. So I'm going to re-preach his message tonight with some other supporting information around it. And the title of this message tonight is Children of Promise. Our, our promises from God are all about liberty. Everything I went through the word of God, all the promises that he gives us that we accept with a yes and an amen. Amen. So the promises he offers, we accept them. All of them have to do with us being liberated from something. So children of promise are children of freedom. Children that have been set free. And so children of promise remaining free. I want to start by reading Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me you who want to be under the law. Uh, how many of you want to be under the law? Let me start right there. So, turns out there are people in the Galatian regions that wanted to be under the law. Now, we know there are people who are legalistic. We know that there are religious people who like laws and standards and they're very structured in the way that they relate to God and the way they relate to each other. I don't have a problem with order, you understand. But Paul's talking to a specific demographic or group of people who want to be under the law. I don't think at the moment that he's writing this, they were aware that they were wanting to be under the law. But that the mechanism of the enemy that was coming upon them was to sneak them into a place of bondage. And see, when we are put in a place to come under a certain bondage of the devil, and this comes through the church, it comes through religious organizations, it can come through our Christian brother, it can come through our, even a mentor, or from uh, fellow disciples, we have to be very careful. We're not always aware it's happening when it's happening. And so he's talking to these people, uh, do you want to be under the law? Tell me, you. Uh, are you not aware of what the law says? Like certainly, he's saying this because in actuality, the Galatians were not Jews. 
this particular church were people that he approached before they were Jews. Some of them had Jewish relationships or had some understanding, but a lot of them were simply Gentiles. In fact, this was part of the birth of the Gentile movement when he was in that region. And so they didn't know what the law was, but now suddenly they're finding that this law is interesting and they're learning about it. How did they learn about it? Well, we'll go on into it and find out that people came to teach them. And this is the way it happens if we're not careful with our liberties. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. I like the way that sounds, a divine promise. See, there's a, there is a, a fascination I found with man with what is natural. In other words, what we can clearly see. We like external things. It is a lot harder for us to understand or comprehend in our growth or faith internal things. Because those things are what? They're invisible. It's, it's difficult for me to teach you about an invisible thing. It'd be very easy for me to teach you about the iPhone XS. No, I don't have the 11 Pro yet, but, uh, but the iPhone, I can teach you about this phone. I can teach you about Apple Watch or MacBook because I own these things. They're tangible, physical. You can touch them. There they are. But when we're talking about spiritual matters, of course, those things are invisible. But in this case, we're going to find a correlation between bondage and what is visible. In fact, the whole letter carries that idea. The things that we see and desire and want that are visible are the most likely elements of bondage. But the things that are invisible and we cannot touch or see or discern with natural eyes are the elements of freedom. And that's why so many people fall into the trap of bondage because they're interested in what they can plainly see. So here, Paul is masterfully trying to help us by giving us the analogy of the slavery of the bondage of law versus the freedom of a covenant with God by grace. And he's compartmentalizing them into these two sides because in reason, one of the reasons we go for the bondage often is because we love structure, uh, the certainty of a plan, I was sitting at a table today talking to pastors, and they, they all Singaporean pastors will admit that. They love a plan. They love strategies. They love writing things down. They get so nervous with me because I'm, when I'm preaching in their churches, I don't have my message title sometimes the day before. Um, they, they write me like at the beginning of the week. I've had people ask me for my message titles two months before my preaching engagement which to me is virtual insanity. I, I am totally subject to the spirit, but many people do. I was sitting with a pastor one time and I couldn't believe this. And he says, I just feel such a relief. I said, why? He says, well, I've planned out all my messages for the year. I said, you what? He says, yeah, I've got them all planned. So all the messages are done for the year. The outlines are complete. And uh, that way I can just enjoy uh, just going and teaching these messages. I said, you've prepared an entire year's messages already preemptively. And I said, well, what if, what if, what if that's not what God wants? Well, no, we plan and we do. Okay, I get that. But I, I've noticed that we like that because it feels so comfortable to have a plan. And that's why um, we get so uncomfortable when God either wrecks our plan or leads us to do things without planning. That's why spontaneity is so scary to us because we do not have an infrastructure to help us. So laws, rules, give us a stable and predictable platform of logic and comfort in life. We know that there's a, a system of laws and rules like in a religious environment and that's comfortable. It feels good. You know what's right and wrong. You know what to do and what to touch not, taste not, handle not as Paul describes what the Bible does in the Old Testament for us. But this is why we always seem to seek that human order and security. The problem is that it's temporal and earthly. Anything that can be planned is based upon what is seen and touched. So it's earthly. It's not supernatural. But how can you really plan the supernatural? And the problem is that very thing. And the, the earthly concept or solution 
that we seek, it does not function with a spiritual realm. Uh, the solutions of earth do not meet the needs of heaven, bottom line. And in our ministries, in our churches, and in our spiritual lives, we have to keep that in mind. And Paul is addressing people here who actually, they, they wanted to be under the law after having been already birthed in freedom. You know this passage in Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Do you have that up there? You don't have it. Okay, I'll just read it from here. You know this. You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Tell me something, he says. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And this was what was bothering him is because they were born in spirit. They had a spiritual birth where they knew the wonders of God and then later were brought into a deeper teaching or a deeper understanding of God, quote-unquote, uh, by people. And this is, there's a certain allure for us to these, the complexities of law and structure. As I said, logically-minded people always love that. Uh, but when the Spirit comes, the advent of the Spirit culture, that's what I call it, we who live in the Spirit, it's a different culture than the Spirit I mean, then the lack of that living. So we follow the Spirit. We live in a culture that when I meet people, I can tell that they're a part of that culture by their language, uh, by the way they talk about their movements in life, by the way they talk about their services, and especially with pastors and leaders. So Paul contended with this issue. And, and really, these perceptions of men were always a challenge to Jesus. Jesus came and fought against that. He battled that all the time. This was the battle that he faced and fought constantly here on earth. And now we've inherited that struggle. So if they call him Beelzebub, uh, how much more are they going to call us the devil? And that's what he meant, is that they're coming after Jesus because his freedoms were so aggressively offensive to them. Because they broke with all the standards and protocols that they had decided in a society were the only way. And Jesus, of course, did it on purpose. Jesus flaunted certain freedoms with the express purpose to disturb them. And then later, this ministry was passed to his disciples. And they did the same thing. And Paul became a master at it. Paul was very good at being free and not minding if that freedom bothered people. So we're going to see some details about why does that happen. Uh, and these people, first of all, that we're, we see in this, Paul had this issue, but the, these people are born in the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of Galatians. And the, they had never been Jews. They were not a part of Judaism. But now suddenly Judaism comes and Jews followed after Paul, snuck in, he says in one place, like spies, to figure out a way, how can we bring bondage to these people? So my question is, why were they even there? Why, why were they, what advantage did these Jews have going to this, let's say, spiritually virgin church that was in Galatia? What, why would they even go and do that? And so that kind of opens our eyes to an agenda. What, what advantage do they have making it their mission to pull people away from the freedom of Jesus as preached by Jesus, the simple gospel, into this structure of law? Uh, it was a satanic agenda. That's why. The devil is behind it all. In fact, if you find harsh religion in bondage, the devil is happy with that. He's the orchestrator of it. In fact, uh, the devil loves harsh religion. He loves strong religious rules because it's a way that he can keep everything contained. And it won't get out of hand. And if he, he has people that are subject to those laws, he can easily pull a, full string, a few strings to stop them from cooperating with the Spirit. So Jesus actually spoke of this concept as leaven or yeast, right? He said, even a little bit of this. And Paul said, you know, don't think that you can keep a little bit of the law because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You keep some, you have to keep it all. So be free. And religious law pursued and persecuted both Jesus and Paul, and now us today. 
That's why he asked the question early when we started, Does, do you want to be under the law? Why? And why would you do that after you started free? Isaiah 10, 27, the verse says, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. The, the anointing breaks the yoke specifically of bondage. The yoke is an image of bondage and control. And the anointing where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is yeah, freedom, liberty. And that's what he designs us to have and enjoy. So in this letter, uh, we're going to see seven facts about being the children of promise. Uh, how many of you want to be a child of promise? Because there's, there's an antithesis or an opposite to this, which is a child of bondage. And Paul's very clearly painting a picture of it. You're either a child of promise or you are a child of slavery. And I choose life. I choose to be free in this regard. And so these, some of these aspects kind of open our eyes to the devil's The Bible says we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, right? So there are passages that will teach you some nuances or little details about his devices that will make you say, oh, okay, that's, that's the enemy. Because he comes in stealthily, crafted, the devil's crafty. You know, it doesn't mean he makes pretty little baskets and crochets, napkins. He, he's crafty, sneaky, and he wants to bring us into bondage. So here we're going to continue with this passage in Galatians into verse uh, 23. And the first one of the seven facts is we must choose our faith orientation. And verse 24 says that these things are being taken figuratively. Now, the verse before this, skip back up to the introduction part because that verse I had separated, but I didn't give you the updated thing. You know, it says, uh, his son by the slave of woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. It says there, and these things are being taken figuratively. In another translation, it says that that this is an allegory. And I, I like that idea too, an allegory or a parable, if you would. I mean, even know that the entire Old Testament, the type and shadow of the law, stands as a schoolmaster for us to understand the New Testament principles. All the lessons that we need to know about grace, mercy, and the New Testament are portrayed and beautifully illustrated in the entire Old Testament. And that was Paul's exclusive ministry. That's all he ever did was expound and exegete Old Testament passages to prove the grace of God and to prove the freedom of the gospel. And so it says allegory. All scripture is given for this purpose to set us free. Um, it Flesh versus divine promise is the issue. When we orient our faith, what we believe, that's our faith, we will be challenged to base it upon one or two of two foundations. Uh, there is a type of faith that is built upon works. And it's still faith because you believe that's the way. Uh, my friend Catherine that we've been working with on um, Wednesday nights, she's an evangelist. I like evangelists. They're fun to be around. A little high energy sometime, you know, like a hummingbird. Brrr, constantly moving. Where are you at? But... Uh, I enjoy being around her. She's fascinating. And she says that there's two kinds of faith, she says. She says saving faith and there's non-saving faith. And it's stuck in my head. It's actually true. You can believe a lot of things and have strong faith in it, but it doesn't save you. You need to believe in the right thing. And so you can have faith in the flesh. You can have trust in that. Or you can have it in divine promises. And when we orient our faith or what we believe, uh, we're challenged to base it on one of these foundations. And that's what this passage is about. A foundation of human logic and thinking, which is the flesh, or a foundation of divine promise, which is often elusive to our minds because it is, as I said earlier, supernatural. So it's like, I don't quite understand that. That's like Jesus saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be a part of me. You cannot be my disciple. Huh? And many people left and were offended. Why? Because they were having trouble understanding the spiritual connotations of it. 
And Peter just decided, you know, I don't know what he's talking about, but I'm, I'm not going to stop following him. Well, you're not going to stop following him? Why? Well, you're the only one that has the words of eternal life. He knew those words were not time-bound, but they were eternal. And so it's interesting that in speaking about these, this orientation, Jesus spent his entire ministry wrestling people out of the, the first orientation of the faith and systems into the new orientation built upon the Abrahamic covenant and its originality, which is why Paul uses Sarah and Hagar here as the examples. You know, in John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is it with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus said? I don't understand it. I can't, this doesn't make any sense. He also had an issue with the fact that somebody could be born again. What are you going to just get back inside your mother's womb? Aren't you kind of big? I don't think you're going to fit. Like he's so logically minded. And Jesus says, oh man, are you the teacher in Israel and you don't get this stuff? Because he was trying to bring them into this spiritual understanding. And I always find it humorous when he was struggling with it. Are you Israel's teacher, said Jesus? Do you not understand these things? So he, he's, he goes on to say, of course, flesh is of flesh, spirit is of spirit. Number two, we identify the heritage of slavery by law. Now, you have to identify it so that it not be active in your life. The women represent two covenants. Now, this is Paul's words. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Now this is Paul talking about what he knew about those who crucified the Lord of glory. He came to his own. His own received them not, it says of Jesus. Meaning he came to his own own, his his patriotic roots and his nationality and his people and they could not receive him because of the way that he was and his the package did not fit their description and so Paul is saying see that's Jerusalem of that day a Jerusalem is all the child of Hagar built upon some things so we listen to Paul talking about this and that Jerusalem of that day although named the holy city of God uh, it was far from a spiritually minded city, which, by the way, it's like that still. I had a pastor friend of mine that went on a Holy Land tour, and I was excited to meet him and ask him, how was it? He was there for a couple of weeks, you know, saw everything, drank from Jacob's Well. It's probably not even Jacob's Well, but, you know, whoever they can make a tourist buck off of the tourists. And he did all these things and saw them, and I said, what do you think about Jerusalem? He says, this is what I can tell you about Jerusalem. He says, it is the most religious place I have ever been in my life. And he did not mean it as a compliment. And so this is what this is talking about. It's still that way to this day. It is a horde of bondage. It is good. Now, of course, there's good people there. I'm not saying that. There's good people everywhere. Uh, God has his people throughout. And there are great ministries in operation there. But overall... This is what it represents. Hagar, that city, like Jerusalem is today. It's important that we learn to identify the difference. And we can do this by examining the story of Abraham and considering his motivations in cooperating with the human plan of Hagar. See, the key to this is go back to the Old Testament and remember the story. We're not, we don't have time to go into it. I could develop this into a 15-hour course if I wanted to, but in actuality, we know the story. You, your Bible scholars in here, all of us know the story of Hagar and what happened, and we just need to ask ourselves about the motivations. The motivations from which Abraham decided to have Hagar and produce Ishmael are the same motivations that will drive us into the slavery and the bondage of law. And what were they? Well, it was fear. The bottom line is he was afraid. Uh, he was afraid of missing out because he knew there was a promise and a covenant that was supposed to be taking place. He's becoming impatient. He's getting older and older and older. He first tried to push Eleazar on God and said, this can be the one. 
no, it won't be him. You're going to have your own son. And then came the plan of Sarah to offer Hagar so that they could have a child. And that was not it either. And why would he do that? Well, he was afraid of disappointing Sarah is another reason why he did it. Because she's the one that, that concocted the plan. Here's Hagar. You go in unto her and have children and I will raise them as my own and your name will be perpetuated that way. And so, okay, I don't know how much she had to beg him to do that. You know, he took this young woman, said just have sex with her. Of course, it was a bad idea, but maybe it just seemed like an okay idea to him at the time. Whatever the case, I don't think it was because he was lustful or that he wanted to have sex with her. I think it was because he did not want to disappoint his wife. And he was fearful again of that. Sometimes our fear to disappoint people around us will push us into bondage. Religious laws, control. I know a lot of people that are miserable in places of ministry and they're under bondage and they feel oppressed and crushed all the time, but they don't want to disappoint the people around them. And so they remain in that place of slavery. Same motivation that he had. Well, did God later condone it? Of course not. We're going to find out exactly what God did. And I'm not saying this in judgment of anyone because I'm guilty of some of these things. I have found myself in this position many times. I've worked in denominations. I thank God that, you know, I thank God Almighty. I'm free at last. I'm not there now, but I used to be there. And I spent years in that dungeon. And I did my best and I worked hard. I dotted every I and crossed every T. I was really good at religion. Very good at it. Ten years of service like that. And I didn't want to disappoint those dear brothers and sisters that had those systems and those hierarchies and those structures. And I still love them to this day. But did that fulfill the plan of God and His Spirit's purpose for my life and ministry? No. It kept me relegated to a small space. And that's the hardest thing for us sometimes. Uh, he was afraid of dying. He thought he was going to die soon. Come on, when you're... 95, 96, 97, 98, 9900, you're thinking, I'm about to croak. We, we better do something quick here. And so he's trying anything he can, and he pretty much had given up on the whole process. But fear can drive us to operating in the heritage of slavery. We have to identify it. Don't, don't succumb to, don't bow under or yield to any form of control over your spirituality. If you're working for an industry and that's your job, well, do that. You know, go do you get in a paycheck? At least they're paying. But if you're in a spiritual position, you need to really think about what God is saying through the Apostle Paul here. And so that's the second one. We identify the heritage of, of that slavery. Number three, we rejoice in our freedom under grace. I know I do. I'm very happy. In fact, you know, it's interesting the relation between the words grace and joy. Did you know that they're interrelated in the Greek? In fact, one theologian explained it like this. The word for joy is an extract from grace as its response. A true grace will cause joy. And that's why you rejoice. It means to live in that joy because you're free. It's that feeling you feel when you go to sleep and you don't have to wake up in the morning and you don't set that alarm. Isn't that a great feel? That's like the happiest moment of your life. And you live for that moment. Tomorrow's my day off. The day off is not so nice because you do have to set your alarm. Because it comes and goes quickly. Sunday night is my happiest night because I'm off tomorrow. I'm free. And I enjoy it. Well, it's the same. I rejoice. I get a little pep in my step. I'm ready to go home. I don't have a certain bedtime. I can just enjoy and do that. Of course, I rejoice in freedom, but it's true in the spirit too. It says in verse 26, but the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. Now, without going into the deep details of the Jerusalem below and the Jerusalem above, we'd have to go to Hebrews and dig that out. You already know that. So we, are, we have a citizenship, but it's not to an earthly place. It's to a heavenly place. So this Jerusalem is our citizenship. It belongs to this Jerusalem that is above. It's free. And she is our mother. That sounds good. That, that freedom is your mother, Paul is saying. It's your mommy. 
and it is the the thing that you should ally to and pledge allegiance to. And it's a Jerusalem that is in the spiritual realm, not the earthly realm. I know a lot of people want to go to the Holy Land and have an encounter, but I have no interest at all. Because I go to the Holy Land that is real. I, I am a citizen of heaven. And I rejoice in that fact. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So the plan of God that delays. Going back to some of the reasons why it was so difficult for Abraham with this situation. Sometimes we have a plan, we have a dream, a petition, but the answer doesn't come. I had a friend of mine recently, we were pressing in, we were petitioning, asking God for this certain thing to happen for him and his family, and the deadline came, and we were all, hey, praise God, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Well, it didn't happen. You know that moment, that thing you're pressing in for, I believe it just doesn't happen. And you have to make a decision at that time. Abraham was put in that position every year that went by he didn't have his child. And it is for us sometimes. So the plan that is delayed, God's plan that is delayed in its birth can cause our hearts to become desperate. You know, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. We have aspirations, we have dreams, and we have ideas about what God can do with us. And we have certain plans in our minds of when it should happen. But when it don't, you know that moment where I thought I would be further along at this moment than I am now. If you feel that, welcome to the club. 99% of the people that I counsel and deal with, that's where they live. What were your expectations? It's okay. We, all, we are people of hope. God's people are hopelessly full of hope. As one missionary told me one time about my uncle, my uncle was a super excited evangelist guy, and he, this missionary of mine was looking at him, just shaking his hand. I said, what's up, man? He says, it's just your uncle. What? He just places way too much stake in hope. <laughs> and th that phrase stuck in my head forever. Sometimes we can get so excited about, I'm hoping for this. How about you? Don't say I'm going to go and buy and sell and make great gain, but as the Lord wills, what does God want? There's, that is a place of freedom. I have expectations, but I'm free to know what will be, will be according. A man can receive nothing that doesn't come from the Father above. And I have lots of dreams and passions, and I'm going to do my part, but at the same time, I'm going to rest and not come under the bondage of performance and manipulation to try to make things happen, because that's called Ishmael. Then I'm making a thing that God never intended. Now I have this obstacle created by me and other people like Sarah Sarah and I Abraham we come up with this plan and we do it and it actually it hinders God's full potential of what he wanted and we'll get into that later so it's it's like a person that when you finally do if it is delayed and you finally have it the rejoicing is much greater if you're patient then you see that windfall that payday in spirit that that breakthrough people like to call it. When you see that, it's just such a glorious moment of catharsis and you're purged and cry and hallelujah because you were waiting so long. It's like a man eating after having just eaten two hours ago versus one who has not eaten for two days. I can serve them both the same hot dog and that two-day guy, he's going to love that hot dog like you would not believe it. A two-hour guy, not so much. He might take a couple of bites and put it aside. God does that. For us to appreciate things, sometimes he delays it. So would God do that to me? Yes, he would do that to you. Because he's developing your character, your patience, your endurance. The Jerusalem that is above is free and she's our mother. Number four, we accept that we are the children of promise. Now you, Paul's talking to us, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. Say, I'm a child of promise. Say it. Amen. I agree with you. I'm glad you brought it up. So you are a child of the promises. You're not the child of the other. You are the Isaac. So now he's designating your role in this whole story and what he's trying to teach us. We're Isaac. We're not Ishmael. We're Isaac. We're not doing things. We're not living a life born out of the design of man. We're living a life born out of the design of God through man. 
And that's what Isaac was. Those born out of flesh, control, and subjection to fear are not like Isaac. In other words, they use control, manipulation, and Ishmael uses force. Think about his character. He was a forceful man, dominating, threatening individual. And that is not at all. Think about, the, in contrast, what, it, what, um, what Isaac was like. Isaac was so gentle, he let people drive him out of his wells, one after the other. They're filling it with mud. He didn't even, they come quarreling with him. He, the most he would do in protest is call the well, you know, the quarreling place, and then walk away. He was like a lamb. Why? Because he wasn't stressed. He knew, he had such a rest in promise that he knew it was impossible that the promises of God not be fulfilled for him. He was like, yeah, whatever, take the well, I don't care. And you know what? He saw it substantiated. Later on, he ended up with the room enough well. And then his servants come back and say, guess what? We accidentally found another well. Because God's not sleeping. He sees everything. But see, Ishmael is not like that. Ishmael dominates, controls, drives. There's no place for that in a spirit life. There's no place for us to do that in relation to people. We yield to what God wants. Isaac had the assurance of the promise, and we're the same. You need to rest in that promise. Uh, we accept that we are the children of promise. Number five, we understand people of law will always persecute people of grace. This is like gravity on this planet. Galatians 4.29, at that time the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now, quote unquote. This is what the apostle Paul is telling us. This is like that right now, he said. Just like it was back then with Abraham and um, his children, Ishmael and Isaac, and the quarreling between the persecution that came to Isaac was born from Ishmael. And if we go back and, of course, um, read the story very clearly, you see it. That when he was celebrating his, his uh, festival, his coming of age, that Ishmael stood up in the corner and mocked him and made fun of him. I picture Ishmael like out there playing uh, in the areas that Isaac is running around and like tripping him. Did you ever see kids really nasty to each other and they bully? I'm sure Ishmael was like that. And Sarah just had enough of it after a while. Because it's a fact. It will always be. There will always be persecution. And why? So this is a strange and fascinating syndrome. And I've observed both biblically and experientially, meaning in the Bible stories and in my own lived life over the 35 years I've been serving God, I have seen this to be true. That if someone is free, be careful because they're coming after you. If you are free, and you have liberty and joy, you are a target, and people come after you. And I've seen that happen again and again. I've seen that focus, that, that same thing happens in all the ministries I've been in through the years. One ministry I went, it was very interesting. Uh, this, the missionary there, this is when I was only like 20, 21 years old. The missionary greets me and he says, look, I want to tell you a little secret about working here in this ministry. It was at a Bible school and we had multiple churches and a really good atmosphere. So I'll tell you a little secret. He looked around. He told me this. This was his advice. Never let them know you're having fun. And I remember thinking, that's so jaded. That's so dark. But he said, never. He said, let me tell you something, man. He says, just walk around this Bible school, walk around the administrative office, walk around the superiors like you're angry and like you're frustrated all the time. Just go. <sighs> and he says, they will never bother you. They will, they are, they'll be happy because misery loves company and they will feel that you are just as tormented in bondage as they are and they'll leave you alone. But the moment they see you enjoying life, they're going to come after you. And it's funny because I had the same word from a missionary named David Hogan before I went to the mission field. He prophesied to me. And he says, let me tell you something. He says, the first thing they're going to go after is your joy. I remember when he told me who he was talking about other missionaries. Isn't that a strange syndrome? That you have groups of people. And of course, I see some of you saying, yeah, I know all about that. Because you know a bunch of people that are like that. 
or you maybe have been that at times. Whatever the case, we want to be what Paul is describing is right, correct? And so the, he's persecuting the son born by the power of the spirit. So there's one born by the flesh and the ideals of men, and there's one born by the spirit. I want to be born by the spirit. If you're born by the spirit, you're free, because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is that freedom and liberty, and you're just having a good time in ministry. I enjoy preaching. I enjoy worship. I have a great time. That bothers some people. Sometimes people just want you to say, Hallelujah. Praise God. They want that stoic seriousness. I have trouble fitting in prayer meetings. It's, they're tough for me sometimes. It's like pastors' conferences. Man, I'm like a, I'm like a fish out of water sometimes in a pastors' conference because often they are so, hallelujah, brother, praise the Lord. I'm like, would you guys lighten up? Let's just have fun. Let's just worship. Let's enjoy. Isn't it great what we do? Isn't Jesus beautiful? And they don't always even want to talk about how beautiful Jesus is because they're so preoccupied with other things, which means they are operating in realms of the flesh that is keeping them down. And it's always been a fear of mine to fall into that trap. And whatever ministry I've, I've been through through the years, I've seen this element. I remember this one woman who came from a religious group and she had her hair in a very high, tight bun and this little bun on top and... Uh, and she had long skirt, you know, the image. And there was this girl that I knew in the Bible school, really sweet girl, loved Jesus, had a great testimony. She started hanging around with this woman. And one day uh, she comes to school and that girl has a bun and a long skirt and, and a bitter face. And I started talking to her. I said, what's wrong with she said, Well, no, um, the sister is teaching me how to be holy. And I thought, no, she's not. I didn't tell her that. It wasn't my place. But I, no, that is, she's not teaching you to be holy. She's bringing you under some archaic system of bondage that's taking your joy away from you. There will always be evidence of God's will and purpose and spirit is always joy, contentment, and rest. It's interesting. Prayer patterns are like, I've been in prayer meetings where people get mad at me because I pray too happy. I've had people mad at me because I didn't pray in tongues with them the way they were praying in tongues. They want my tongues to be like their tongues. You're having too much fun with your tongues. We don't like that. I've actually been told that. Because like, I love my tongue. I love praying in tongues. I mean, I have a ball with it. I walk around the house singing, and I have uh, rhyming tongues so I can rap in them and everything. See, to some people, that's like sacrilegious. You what? I was playing around with my, my tongues with the... Google Translate app because the new release is amazing. You, you got to try it. It's incredible. It can work like an interpreter. So I looked up Persian because I have a tongue that sounds like that. And I was talking to it and it was translating stuff. About half accurate, but it was a lot of stuff. I have a witness for this. A lot of stuff was about heaven. And I was talking about heaven and joy and peace. And of course, I don't know what I'm saying in tongues, but people would say, you can't do that with your tongues. Praise God. Tongues are serious. They don't have to be. They can be fun. They can be enjoyable. You think that the people of the day of Pentecost were all rolling around seemingly drunk because they were miserable? No, they were happy. They were enjoying that moment, that release of the Spirit. So we must be careful. What do we do then? What do we do when there's these people trying to put up buns on our heads and long skirts? And what do we do when these people telling us we need to pray a certain way and we don't like the way you're holding the microphone and you need to, you know, you need to read this many chapters a day of the Bible. You need to do this, do this, do the other. If you don't do it like us and, you, you know, your collar is not the right shape and your sleeves aren't long enough or there's always these things that just starts crushing you after a while. Well, I'll show you what the what he says here. Number six, we're obligated to get rid of what persecutes us with law. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. So here we're looking at this and we consider the story of Sarah and Abraham, which we keep visiting. We find the problem that Abraham he allowed to happen because of his yielding to his fears, as we saw earlier. It, it, he, was, he didn't want to be rejected by Sarah, but God is on the side of Sarah who decides to banish Hagar. And remember, it upset Abraham. It said it greatly disturbed him. And God said to him, don't be so disturbed. Do what Sarah says. 
That means it is God's purpose to purge out of our lives, according to this analogy Paul's given us, it's God's purpose to purge the sources of bondage out of our life so that we can live in spirit and be free. Now, I know this is hard, and like the story with poor Hagar, which, by the way, 13 times her, names appear, her name appears in the Bible, and it's a beautiful story. I've taught Hagar before. It's a beautiful story of when someone's been victimized by a process. Because that's all she was, was a victim. This poor thing, I always feel sorry for her. But she was brought in, and Ishmael was, but God blessed Ishmael. So don't say that God won't bless organized structure that was born in flesh. Because he still loves his people of covenant. But there's a better way. A superior path. And if we're aware of what Paul's trying to teach us, we can have that freedom. Paul's not saying that the people that were even coming and Judaizing his free converts in Galatia were going to hell. He's just saying, don't do that. It's wrong. Don't listen to them. They came and opposed me, he said. I didn't subject myself to not, not for one second did I obey them so that I could preserve your freedom, he told them, because he wanted them to be free. Number seven, this is our last one. We are children of freedom and must guard our liberty. Yeah, you're going to have to protect it. As I said, it's a target. So it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So there will always be a risk of going back to the human way of legalities and reason. Therefore, spirit-lived life must be carefully guarded. And that passage in Galatians that I quoted is actually Galatians 2, 4, where it says, This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You get the weight of what he's saying. To him, the truth of the gospel was the freedom that was being curtailed by these people coming in. Be very, very careful. Very careful when somebody comes and tells you that you're not going to get your prayers answered because you're not pronouncing the name of Jesus correctly. Kind of hogwashes that. You don't say Yeshua, your prayers will not be answered. I had somebody actually tell me that one. I was talking to them and I said Jesus and they said Yeshua. I said, yeah, well, you know, I love Jesus. You love Yeshua. Kept correcting me. Like, what do you know? You have to say it right. And I, I got into it. I said, that's just pathetic. You're saying, you see, that's a bondage. That's crazy. I can call him Jesus if I want to. That's Spanish. I can call him Yeshu if I want to. Jesus. There's so many different ways. Do you think that Jesus is offended by all those bad pronunciations of his name? And how do we even know that's exactly how the Aramaic of his day was even pronounced? And we don't theologically, but they've empowered themselves to decide. See, that's Hagar. That's Ishmael. Be careful with that. If you don't wear that, that Israeli prayer cloth over your head, you're not going to really be anointed. I tell you your problem in your ministry right now. You don't have any shofars. If you had a couple of shofars, then things would happen. You see, that's just pathetic. Once again, notice that all these things are external, visible objects. Things that are fleshly. I don't have a problem if you have a shofar. I think it's an amazing instrument. I don't have a problem if you have a prayer cloth. I don't have a problem if, if you have a vial of water from the Jordan and you hold it in your hand when you're praying. I don't care if you have a splinter from the old rugged cross that you wear and a pendant around. All those externalities, that's fine. It's your business. But don't come push your hocus pocus on me. Because I have Jesus. And he ever lives, not on earth, but in eternity, where he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for me. And I'm so free, and I'm not letting anybody take that freedom from me. They'll try, but it is my obligation to protect that gift that I've been given. The truth of the gospel, it's called here. The truth of the gospel. Amen? Well, that's the message. This is the recap of the seven things we saw. Uh, early this morning, I was review I fell asleep with this passage, looking at it, and then I woke up this morning about four, and just spent hours going through it and got excited. And in actuality, this could be a series, man. I could go on and on and on. 
we must choose our faith orientation. Decide, make a clear choice. Say, I'm going to live in the Spirit. I'm going to live by all impulses that are from the Spirit. I'm not going to listen to the fleshly impulses. I don't want Ishmael's in my life. We identify the heritage of slavery by law. Point to what is an Ishmael and say, that's Ishmael. Mark it. Brand it. Put a sign on it. Do not touch. Do not accept. Counterfeit. Make sure that you do. Because if not, you let things start coming in little by little. That's what he does. It's the leaven. We rejoice in our freedom under grace. It's a, it's a happy thing. It's exciting. And don't be afraid to tell people about it. Now, I know we can go into some details about the 14th chapter of Romans and other passages concerning your liberties becoming a stumbling block to other people. That's a different subject. I'm not talking about you walking around with a bottle of vodka in the church. No, I'm talking about that. I'm talking about religious principles. We accept that we are the children of promise. I accept it. I'm happy to be that. We understand people of law will always persecute people of grace. Yeah, I spot them a mile away. They spot me. They can smell my freedom. What is that? And they come after me. Hey, brother, where are you from? Who's your pastor? Where's your ministry? What ministry are you out of? How long were you there? Who, who school did you go to? Where'd you graduate? What are your degree? Like, who are you? Just met you and you want me to give you all this information? Why do you even deserve to know all these things? Because... They're looking to fit you into their category. We understand that. They will always come after you. We're obligated to get rid of what persecutes us with law. If you identify these things in your life, abandon them. That's what, guess what God says? Maybe you're really close to them. Maybe you love these things. Maybe you adore your religious icons. I don't know. Maybe you love the hierarchy of the religious system you've been a part of, and you don't want to offend. It's just, you know, they mean well. Well, God had compassion on Hagar and Ishmael as he made Abraham throw them out. He took care of them somewhat. He's going to take care of those people. He's going to take care of the people that bring bondage. Like his, he loves them just like he loves you. But he has a plan, a superior plan for you to be free. Walk in it. So we're obligated by this. Paul's saying get rid of it. We are children of freedom and must guard our liberty. Amen? Amen. That's the word he gave me. Why don't we stand on our feet? I want us to pray.